Gaming MBS, episode 253, being recorded Monday, July 29th, 2018. 19. 2019. Welcome to Gaming NBS, a tabletop RPG podcast set in the 21st century. That's pretty good. That's a good. <laughs> I'm one of your hosts, Sean. And I'm Brett. I'm the other guy who can count. <laughs> or at least have a calendar in front of me and or whatever. Last uh, year was a better year? No, I don't know if it was better. No, no last year was not better for you, dude. Not, I, I, no. I wasn't even there for all of it, and it was not good for you. No, it wasn't a better year. This uh, year is Lord. a better year. So far, so good. Rock, knock on wood. Knock, knock, knock. All right. Let's see here. Did you get any gaming in this last week? I did not get any gaming in since our last episode. No. Neither did I. My kids did. My oldest boy is home visiting. He's on leave from the Air Force. So he's up and he ran some he ran some D D for his brother and the three girls. So all five of my kids were playing in my living room. Or I should say my dining room, which is cool to listen to. And I also remembered how terrible, how terrible of a gamer I must have been when I was first starting because listening to some of those conversations, like, oh, my God, oh, my God, nuts, craziness. I did, I did run Call of Cthulhu Tuesday. You did? Last week. Yeah. How'd that go? Good. Uh, Doc fell asleep at the table. What? <laughs> Too much scotch? I'm just going to blow it off as he was, he was tired. But uh, some role-playing, the plot moved a little bit. I wanted to inject some things to, you know, make like, pep, pep, pep things up a little bit. Like caffeine pills? <laughs> stimulants, meth, something to get people it, perky? You know, it's did he all... Com- did he complain? Like, oh, I was no. bored? Nope. He thanked me for running at the end of the night. And the end of the night, he was he was awake, but he dozed off. I looked at that one at the end of the table, and there he is, like, slumped, yeah, slumped over, chin resting on resting on his abdomen. Um, I got to remember this when I see him at game one. Yeah, that's all right. Um, but, yeah, it was good. It, uh, I, have to, I still have a video to put out to the masses to see, to let everybody know what I'm doing. Cool. Uh, which I did, and then I'm like, ah, I really don't like it. So I'm going to redo it. So a couple things game-wise. I, I finally got, <coughs> excuse me, my Goodman Games um, Dungeon Crawl Classics Lankmar box set, which is pretty cool. Hefty thing. It's full. I mean, like, to the top when I popped it open. I'm like, holy shit, this thing is, there's no room in here. It's super, super packed. Um, I'm going to unbox it, take some pictures of what's in it, and I'll post that up on different places. Should do video, man. Just uh, get get one of them uh, tripods you got. I yeah, I can pull it off. Yeah, I could probably pull it off. Called AJ, I think, or yeah, I could get an AJ or Lana version. Yeah, I get version, one of those. Yeah, yeah, yeah one, of those one is taller than the other. That's true. Lana could do the closer up shots. AJ slightly taller. That's right. Actually, she's more than slightly taller. Here, hold this. Here, hold this. Um, don't say anything. Don't <laughs> talk. Don't talk. Just uh, hold this. AJ, move it. God damn! What the hell's wrong with you? Oh, I'm a terrible parent. Um. <laughs> and Sean and I, who convinced us to do this? Oh, you know who convinced us to do this? Jared Rasher. Oh, wow. That son of a gun. I mean, he, he didn't help he, matters. No, but. he did not. He posts up, hey, I bet you I could run Avalon with Zweihander. And I said, yeah, I was thinking about that too. And Sean's like, it's on sale. 
So guess what Sean and Brett both own now? Oof. Big copies of Zviander. Holy that shit. is a freaking beast. Yeah, you could kill a, 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 a troll with that book. It's heavy. It's it super hefty. Heavy. It's heavier than a DCC book. Yes, it reminds me very much of my Astonishing Swordsman and Sorcerers of Hyperborea second yeah. edition hardcover, which I have. That's a big goddamn tome. What kind of paper but, do they use in that? Um, lead. Lead paper, I think, because it's heavy. I don't know. In Hyperborea, I mean? It's a good quality. Good quality paper. Oh, it is? Okay. That's all I can tell. This looks cool, though. I've, I've been interested in this Vihander for a while, and now that Sean and I both have it, he started reading it. I need to read it. And uh, once we get far enough in... I think you're just getting through character creations. We get through character mm-hmm. creation, some spells, some combat. Beast. I know. I'm just saying we got to get through character creation, combat, spells, the, you know, the guts of an RPG. Yeah. And then we can talk about it intelligently or as intelligently as we get around these parts. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of skills that take up a bulk of it. Like, so. Cool. Yeah. It'll be worth, it'll be worth doing. And I also bought Kingdom. Kingdom. Is that a Zvihander piece too? No. What's Kingdom. That is the one that um, Mr. Colville references by Ben Robbins. Uh, ben Robbins. Oh, I got my Strongholds and Followers Kickstarter book, which is pretty damn nice. I must ben, say. Ben Robbins. He Kingdom. Kingdom. He did Kingdom and Microscope. Oh, others. okay, okay, okay. And Kingdom and Kingdom microscope. is where you create your own kingdom, and then you have a couple got it. characters play one of three roles and it's, you know, use index cards and you come up with a method, which I think is really cool. I started reading it and I'm like, I could totally see running this game to create your own homebrew. Mm. I really do. If you, if you kind of want player buy-in, it's, and you could toss some things that, that it, that it does. We've talked about that before. I mean, if you have, even if you're like, oh, I could do it without a book. Yes, you can. Yeah. But, if you're newer to it and you're not quite sure what to do, and if you want to make sure you ask some of the right questions. Yes. And by right questions, we mean, oh, shit, I forgot. Yeah, that's right. The uh, overlord's name is Philip. What? what? What do you mean overlord? We didn't agree to overlords. You know, you want to make sure you ask all the right stuff and having a checklist perspective can be pretty handy. That's cool. Yeah. So we got some new reading ahead of us, if nothing else. This weekend, I'm running my... Avalon game using the Pathfinder system when the guys are on the Outlands. It's going to be a goddamn bloodbath. It's going to be huge. Huge! It should be the uh, the final fight, depending. I've got two people. Let's just say, if Lenny can make it on Saturday, then I'm good. If he can't, then I've got to stall. So we'll see. This is either the penultimate ending or the actual ending. We shall see what happens. All right. Shall we move on? Let's just do yeah. random encounter. All right, let's do it. These guys are going to be like, holy cow, they're just getting to something. I know, my God. Random Encounter, going to kick it off with a voicemail from DM Kojo. Excellent. Hey, guys, it's Kojo calling. Just wanted to call in about your episode on no prep. Uh, It's a great episode, as always. I always used to be a huge prep guy. I would read the module twice before I ran it, and I would, you know, draw out things and, you know, handouts and extra player maps and you name it when I was a kid and even when I got back into gaming as an adult here. 
But three things that I experienced in the last, so say, 10 years broke me of the over-prep habit to the point where now uh, no prep is right up my alley. Uh, first was running for middle school kids at my school club. Uh, I learned not to prep that much because they're going to do crazy stuff that uh, wasn't going to go along with your prep anyways. I mean, more so even as a typical uh, chaotic player. Uh, the second thing is the uh, Dungeon Crawl Classics, which is very unpredictable, very swingy. You can roll badly on a spell check, and uh, next thing you know, you've opened a portal to another dimension by accident as a side effect. Um, that kind of thing, getting rolling with that, that would derail my adventures that I planned. I, I found that now you have to be ready for anything there. And then finally was uh, playing Fantasy Flight Star Wars with its narrative dice mechanic. I found that I had to roll on the fly a lot with things that the players would come up with that they wanted to do as a result of their narrative roles and how they would spend their, you know, advantages and things like that. So it uh, became something where, again, I had to adjust on the fly so often that it was just became natural to me. So... Now you can sit me down with the Dungeon Alphabet and the Monster Alphabet books and uh, random esoteric creature generator, and I could probably run an adventure with that on the fly, and I think it would turn out okay. But uh, still, would like some prep, but you definitely don't need as much as I used to. So, all right, guys, take it easy. Bye. Yeah. Star Wars. I think that, I mean, that makes sense. And DCC does have the swingy, oh my God, anything can happen. You have know, Jitson problem or lots of different things can occur there. I think the, um, what was I going to say? I think experience is the best way to get really good at doing what Coach just talked about. And I think we touched on that at least last time. You've got to do it. You've got to try to run with less prep and um, be able to run unprepared and give that stuff a go. And the only way to do it is to try it. Yeah, we just got to keep working on it. Well, and it helps if, if you've that's got, a goal. If that's a goal, it also helps that if you have a predetermined setting, you don't have to make anything up. Like Star Wars is pretty easy. Everybody's seen all the movies; they can reference everything. Yeah, they got the space Googles and everything. Space Google for sure. Exactly. Yeah. Thanks, Kojo, for writing in or awesome. writing in. Thanks calling for in. thanks for calling in your writing. <laughs> <laughs> How about you read the first one? Saul of House Morales comments on Never Prepared. Hey, Brett and Sean, your episode on game prep really got me thinking of how and why I prep the way I do. The weird thing is that I run from crazy over prep. For example, these are con game prep. And then he's got a picture of, of what he's talking about, which I'll, if you look at your podcatcher, it should show up. For a D&D game to really going overboard when running a game of Empire of the Petal Throne using uh, Bethorm rules. In that game, I handed out handmade pre-generated characters, but made handouts for each character that I hand wrote using my calligraphy pens on homemade paper and then sealed with sealing wax with the initials of their clan with wax, the color of their clan. In the handout was one secret they knew about another player, and yes, a yes or no question, 
which they answered me, uh, which they answered me. They would get a yes or no note made the same way. Okay. I think I really butchered that sentence. In the handout was one secret they knew about another player and a yes or no question, which when they answered me, they would get a yes or no note made the same way. It was a note opening tear fest for the first few minutes. Then super low prep when I run a D&D game for my friends with just an idea I scribbled on one page of a small notebook with a map scrawled out on an index card. So for me, it depends on what game I am running and what experience I want to invoke. All that note tearing in the Tecamel game really set the room for a game filled with intrigue and plots. Great podcast as always. I'm a bit sad since I now finished uh, your podcast library. I did it the wrong way and started with the first one I heard from you guys and went backwards. Well, that's okay. It's okay. It's that's okay. right. We'll, we'll forgive you. It's okay. cool. It's all okay, right. Okay, Saul. The fact that you did it at all is amazing. Thank you. Yes, that is true. Very touche. <laughs> it was interesting as I felt I was going back in time. Wow. All right, then. See? So I opened the show correctly. Yeah, you kind of did. You kind of <laughs> did. Saul, anyway. I have about 101 notes about comments and questions from your past episodes, but I will wait for those for a later time. Really? No Santa Claus, Brett? Saul. Yeah, so the only bearded fat man that gets credit for presents in my house is me. That's it. There you have it, Saul. Sorry. <laughs> Just, I don't know what to tell you, man. Yeah, not going to happen. So hopefully that doesn't ruin your opinion of Brett, although I can understand if it does. Yeah, I mean, that's fine. I do too. <laughs> All, All right, right, dude. Down to you, man. Oh, Go ahead. Oh, Corey Welch. So he, ask, this is, okay. Sorry. So yeah, no, read Corey's. It's all good. All right. So it's a favor. It is a it favor. It sounds like more than, more than just a note here. So it hi is. all. Kind of, yeah. I just want to inquire about a possible announcement for the charity event. No, no, we're not doing it, Corey. Sorry. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Okay. Give him a break. A, poss- a possible announcement for the charity event at the attached event text will give you some more details. A great man and gamer, Jerry Stefik, was lost to cancer last year. And we'd like to have an event in his honor uh, for a to be named by the family cancer charity. I'll be running 10 hours of Carnival of the Damned in funeral tournament style. Okay, so it's just time out. I don't think that's enough. I think Corey needs to do like a week. A week's worth of Car- Carnival of the Damned. That's ba- Beatty's game too. Yeah, yeah. So I think ten, Corey- 10 hours is a lot, dude. Well, I think you should do a week. <laughs> <laughs> a week straight. Can you imagine how damn silly you Oh my be? God, he'd be insane. All right. Continue. But he says- Yeah. Um, he has supported Goodman Games, Purple, Purple Sorcerer Games, and David Stiff Whiskers Press for prizes. And D- Stiff Whiskers is David Beatty. Stiff Whiskers is the press that he put out his um, Dark Trails under. Anyhow, um, he's going to broadcast on the DCC Mayhem Twitch channel and try to get some more donations from the wider world. I like to get the word out wherever I can so we can make as much an impact as possible. This morning, you might be able to arrange something on the podcast for me, Corey Welch, and some of Jerry's good friends to talk about the event, to drum up support for the event. I don't know if Jerry, I didn't know Jerry that well personally, but he did make an impact on my life through his friendship and learning more about him at his memorial service. I was floored by the difference he made in the world. Let's try to make a difference for the good in his name and memory. Please let me know if there's something you might be able to pull together 
for a 10-minute segment to get the word out. So, What do you think, Sean? Well, maybe, possibly, but um, I wrote Mr. Welch back and said, hey, dude, where do I point people? Like, is there a Twitch channel that we need to send it to? Is there? I mean, he sent me the, the text, but the text didn't give me... So I think here's the deal. Corey, you're going to hear this, dude. Yes, we'd like to help. Yes, right? of course. So email us some more details. Um, hit us up with what you know, when you want to hold it, so on and so forth, and we will see what we can do. If, yeah. if for schedules, we'll spread the word. Yeah, if schedules collide and we're like, ah, fuck, we can't get you on the show, dude. Damn, that's totally fine. Get us as much as you can in the detail space. We will post it. We will do our best to, to uh, push it for you, man. Yes. That's a good. That's a good thing you were yeah. doing, and uh, we applaud you. Very, very yeah. nice. Very, very kind of you. Absolutely, man. And sorry, sorry for the loss of of Jerry. Jerry. Yeah, we we didn't know Jerry obviously, but you know, it sounds like he's one of us. So, um, anything we can do to help? But dude, you gotta give me a date. You gotta give me like ways for people to contribute. And uh, if they want to watch or participate, like, where do they go? So Yeah, get us some more goodies, and we will post this shit up, man. Okay. Sweet. Uh, Thank you, Corey. Yeah. Over uh, to you. Harrigan reveals how he drives off two of his childhood chums. Oh, we were, we were looking we were looking for the dirt Harrigan delivers. Here we go. So I think if I think he mentioned this back to back episodes. So two fifty two and two fifty one, if you haven't listened, Harrigan wrote in and said, you know, during Dragonlance episodes specifically, he <laughs> he broke a he broke a he, game master. He read the, the he read the books and he told the game master. He read the Dragonlance books and the dungeon master was like, "I'm done," and he never gamed again or something. Yeah, he broke a DM. And then he did it again to another childhood friend of the same group. Doing Which I kind of want to give him a patch for his Vester's jacket that says, "I break DMs." Yes. So, anyway, carry on. So we asked him like what happened on the second one, and he writes and he doesn't tell us the whole back. So lads, ask and you shall receive. This, then, is the story of how Harrigan drove a second friend from the DM's high and lonely perch. The scene, Harrigan's basement, circa 1984. All good games start in the basement. Keep going. It's like a Stranger Things episode. Present at the gaming table, Harrigan and his two friends. Let's call them Scott and Tim, for their names were Scott Scott and and Tim. Tim. Very good. Yeah. Tim, you know about. Loved Dragonlance, wanted to Dungeon Master that first module, ran screaming from DMing never to try again when Harrigan obtained Dragons of Autumn Twilight and read it. (sighs) Next up, Scott. Scott thinks Harrigan might need a break from DMing and decides to give it a shot. So he buys Merp. Middle-earth role-playing, Iron Crown Enterprises. And buys a Merp Adventure. Runs exactly one session in which characters were also generated before quitting DMing, never to try again. (laughs) I don't recall the specifics of our characters or the scenario, but it involved troll hunting. So to set the scene, Scott reads the opening box text from the module. You know the sort. Quote, It's been a long day's travel, and the party is tired by the time they reach the hills of Trollguard. Ahead, you see the yawning opening of a forbidding cave that beckons to your adventuring spirit. End quote. Pretty standard fare so far, right? Scott's doing well. He knows how to read aloud. 
That's, <laughs> Good old Scott. That's when the wheels come off. Eek, clunk, clink, clink. Instead of stopping there, Scott keeps right on reading out loud from behind the screen. Since this is the very start of the adventure, the next sex- section, meant for the DM's eyes only, is a summary of everything in the cave. So this would go to the argument that box text is bad. Or or, or, or that somebody should have read the module to begin with, or where dis- it would have said, hey, anyway, keep going. Or disregarded. Scott spends the next few minutes detailing for us the traps, NPC double crosses, monsters, and secret passages contained in the adventure. Tim and Harrigan cannot contain their mirth, and they start laughing so hard that eventually Scott stops reading. Then, realizing what he's done, Scott closes the module and vacates the seat, his evening of surprises ruined. And that was all it took. Though I also blame Merp, generally, not exactly the best system for someone's first outing as a DM-GM, or for anything, really. Oh, I like Merp. Anyway, I, I I see your point. Also, I'll also note that I recently had lunch with Scott. It had been many years since I'd seen him, and I apologized for laughing out of the laughing him out of the DM's chair. He wasn't bothered by it, but he did harbor a 35-year grudge because of a different incident. A shiny new PC of his was swept overboard in a storm after a single failed save. Scott was so big on a fancy character names, and when Roy Robine Windlespear met his watery end, he was so mad he stormed out of the basement and didn't come back for an hour. So I apologize for that, too. Maybe there's a reason most of my plays since the 90s has been play-by-post. <laughs> Harrigan. P.S. I've been considering getting Scott and Tim together for a game the next time I go back to my hometown. Wish us luck. P.P.S. Regarding your episode on mounts, are you familiar with Gaggle Zoomers from the old Dragon comic Snarf Quest by Larry Elmore? Yes. I am not because I never read that. I mean, yes. I know the comic. I just never read it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Scott and Tim had one of those so they could jet around that massive Greyhawk map quickly. Nice. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, Harrigan. 35 year grudge for a different incident. I have a gamer I used to play with who has not talked to me for almost 20 years now. Was it because of gaming? Yes, and I don't know why. You I confronted don't? the No, I confronted the individual. This is before Susan and I got married. That's not 20 years. It's almost it's over 15 years now. Cuz we've been together 15 years. Anyway, I confronted him. I said, "Hey, man, miss you at the table, blah blah. If I did something, let me know." Mumble, mumble, it's fine, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, are you lying to me? (laughs) Other people in the group confronted the individual very politely and nicely said, hey, and I don't want to get into it because of reasons. Because of reasons. Because of reasons. Yes, you all adults out there. And then I got that and went, okay, you know what? Um, Fuck it. At this point, one of my gamers brought it up a while ago. Hey, I wonder how so-and-so has been doing. And I said, I don't fucking care. And they looked at me rather shocked. They said, I am 46 years old. Yeah. This person has avoided me and refused to speak to me for 15 years. I don't care. 
I have other friends. I have other shit to do. If they ever want to talk to me, they know where to find me. I haven't moved. Ah, <laughs> oh, good Lord. It anyway, is... good on you, Harrigan, for uh, for uh, hooking back up with Scott. And if you, Tim, and Scott can get together and game. Yeah. I bet you, you lads will have a damn good time, I'll bet. Well, we'll see. Oh, Maybe. you will. There's no new, there's no, there's no Dragonlance books to read. There's no Merp. No, there's more. Yeah. Well, yeah, there's more Dragonlance books. To, well, there's more saying. shit out there. There's more, yes. Ah, <laughs> oh. oh, dude, I might have one of those guys. I don't, I might just not be aware of it. You mean the guy who threw his books out in the snow? That uh, guy? Jeff, I play with all the time. Yeah, I know, but he's saying this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the yeah. same thing. The <laughs> same problem principle. with Jeff, the problem with Jeff is, is like he's like my brother, so he can he can throw a temper tantrum and act like a ten year old, but in the end, he's like a brother. So I yeah, would, you're good people. Get back here. I would Come just on, have to Jeff. go out and get the books for him, and then throw them at him when he when I go you, and get them. Hey, you douche! Look what you did. Yeah. You got your book all wet. Ruined a perfectly good PHB, you dick. Nice. Yeah. All right. All right. So Joe comments about Gamehole Con's VIG registration. We talked about this last episode, I think, at the top. Yeah. So he's uh, he's talking about his experience quick. Yeah. We'll say regarding Gamehole Con and the VIG badges, I snagged mine three years ago after running into many issues with the public game registration because I go to the con with two other friends of mine. We try to play everything together. We were not able to grab sessions together. We are a small group with not a ton of availability to play, and so this is our weekend away. It's a bit pricey, but for being able to plan upwards of 11 sessions together, it has been worth it. Um, I'm unsure how the server situation is for regular registration these days, but I'm guessing it's much better than it used to be. There will always be hiccups, however, uh, when that many people are trying to check out their cart at once. The servers are doing lots of math in the background to add all those games to cart and reserve, etc. We have uh, learned to just plan for problems and roll with it. I'm sure what complaints you may have heard, server issues, slots being taken up for fast games, etc. But hopefully, we're allowed two listeners to uh, <laughs> we allowed two listeners to attend Brett uh, Brett's a fish story game that Thursday that didn't initially get tickets or were late to be checked out. Oh, all three of us had uh, both of Brett's games added because we figured we would only get one. To our surprise, we actually got into both games. Well, since there are only five spots in each session, two of us decided to drop out, allow someone else in that would enjoy it. We still kept seeing the other session because uh, as a Kickstarter backer, I really wanted to play in that world with a person that knows it best. Well, Joe, man, thank you very much. That is very kind of you to do that. And your statement, one of the things that Sean and I asked last time was like, why does anybody get into VIG? It's to get the, kind of to get the events. The events. And yeah. boom, Joe, you answered. Honestly, I did not think about that when I said that hyperbole style statement. But you're right. Yeah. I mean, if you've got a small group of people, the three of you want to game together and want to have a good time and want to be able to coordinate, that is, I think you're dead right, man. That's probably your best way around. Yeah. Uh, hopefully you'll have, yeah. You know what? I usually, I usually keep a spare character sheet just Ooh. in case. Cause every once in a while I'll get somebody show up. If it's a four person game or five person game, sometimes someone shows up, they don't like the only characters and sometimes they get there and like, Hey, you know, can she play too? I'm like, yeah, sure. What the hell? Right. But we'll see what happens. Very cool. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate you being fans and supporting Kickstarter and wanting to game with me. That's very kind of you. Crim fan. Awesome. Right. He, this is from, this is old. I, this got fell through the cracks. So we're going back with Crim fan. Great topic. Uh, and I can't remember the damn topic, but oh, it was a random encounter, bunch of other stuff. One problem I have with the way 5e handles death is that the DM pretty much has to want to kill a PC. Okay, let's stop with that. Crimfan, 
Yeah. Well, why why wouldn't you want to do that? I don't understand the I problem. Don't, I don't understand the problem either. Z, that's a typo. One problem I have should be. I don't understand. I'm confused. I'm confused. Sorry, right, right, we'll, maybe it'll make more sense as we go. He'll, He'll explain. He'll explain. He'll explain. I think this now. You know what, Brett? Mm-hmm. If this goes out on Twitter, we're gonna get roasted. Never mind. I posted uh, something to Twitter this past weekend because I saw some shit on Twitter that drove me absolutely bonkers. And it's like, please, 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 please take us in jest. We don't want everybody in the Dungeon Master world to kill characters. Okay. Oh, I know. No. Yeah. I know. I saw a meme on Twitter that was like, you know, this thing about Dungeon Masters wanting to kill player characters needs to stop. It's old. It's an old trope and it beats uh, death and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, you just infuriate me more. I want to kill more player characters. See what especially, you're doing? Especially yours. That's what I want to do. God, it's a joke, people. Of course we want the players to win and succeed and have fun. God. All right, carry on. Jesus. Sorry. Man, Sorry. you got wow, going there. You got going there. Dude, you got my going face there. is red. I got that vein popping out of my neck and my he head. He does. His hair just stood straight up like a rooster's comb there for a second. I think this can really affect, okay, this is him now. I think this can really affect the table dynamics in a bad way. Okay. I guess area effect death can handle it, but still, in general, I don't mind that down and dying is fairly difficult to convert to dead, but I do get people who miss lethality. Right. Yeah. You got to give them a little fear. Mm Mm-hmm. Exhaustion also seems like a way to kill PCs, but that, like inspiration, is, in my opinion, also not well-integrated systems in the game. For instance, it can be totally game stopping because there are essentially no ways to manage it in the system besides greater restoration, sixth level spell. So I don't know. It would be nice if they worked this into a 5 5 in a more integrated fashion. This was something for uh, DD4 handled somewhat better by draining healing surges. As to the two player game, he's moving on. I think DD could absolutely run that way and have run a and, and I have run. And have run a lot of it. Mm. It works fine. It was how the original game ran back in ye olden times, actually. But it needs some ad- adaptation. I totally encourage Brad and Sean to take this on. But there are some tips I can offer from having run a lot of it, translated into 5e. Recall that the big limiter is the action economy. Two PCs will be much more strapped on it than four PCs of somewhat lower level. As such, the DM needs to adapt encounters appropriately. In particular, things that lock out a PC really, really need to be considered carefully. For instance, action, denial attacks like hold person or stun are super dangerous as are hordes of foes. Noted. Magic items like figurines of wondrous power are very helpful because they provide situational beef but require choices on the part of the PC. Scrolls also help a lot to keep the caster going for longer. Temp items are really useful. Hand out a lot of healing potions. However, the action economy really nerfs them, so you may want to allow potion consumption on a bonus action. Yeah. I could see that. I could see that. You yeah. know, a potion consumption in combat, quick aside here, Mike, players and I have often used the, you don't have to drink a healing potion, you can smash it on you. I don't know where this started. Oh. But we have topical. done it like it, it topical. <laughs> it needs it's like an ointment or an unguent. It needs to make contact with you. Yeah, interesting. So the joke was, I think I think this came back to an old character's dwarf. I just smashed it on my head because he was being a nutty dwarf. 
and we judged that it ruled or we excuse me judged that it ruled we ruled that that's how it worked yeah but anyway hey one way to one way to get around it that's a good point brett potions don't have to be ones that you have to drink i guess right yeah why not yeah. if you do that then the consumption can be a bonus action. faster yeah Make it a bonus action by doing that. Anyway, carry on. Uh, be careful of using things that are really swingy, like critical rules. Foes mm-hmm. make way more rolls than the PCs, so the dice swing is always against the PCs. Average damage, a- average damage is not a bad thing, for example. So what he's talking about is the 5e, there's an actual, like you just read the damage number. Yeah, you could yeah. say they hit you for four every time they use yes. four damage or yeah. two damage. And they, I mean, just to... Quick aside, but we're breaking. Current fans making some very good points. Yeah, these are awesome. This is awesome stuff. Um, you may want to relax concentration rules for PC spellcasters a bit. For instance, allowing two spells or letting a spell hang around for one round after concentration ceases. Yeah. Nice. You're only allowed if one concentration spell. I'll tell you, the hanging around one round after it ceases, that always struck me as fun. Yeah, And we have done home ruley type stuff like that in the past where at the fly, someone says, how long does it last? Does concentration break in immediately in the middle of a fight? And they look at me and I just like, it lasts one round after, he's, after he stops, just as a lingering effect. It was just a, a, a thing that was mentioned. Somebody, I think, finally looked up the rule and we, <laughs> we nerfed that. But hey, why not? It works. Keep going. Henchfolk really help a ton to beef up the party. However, they should be constructed not to outshine the PCs in their area of expertise. For example, if the PCs are primarily casters, have them have some warrior types or a rogue or two. There are plenty of NPC builds in the various monster books. Thug, veteran, berserker, archer, scout, etc. all work great for this. Mm-hmm. If you do make them the class with the class system, you may want to make them lower level but you definitely want to make them quick to run with minimal choice points, especially if you farm out the combat playing to the character or to the players, which is often a good idea. This means that, say, a paladin or battle master is a good choice, but a champion fighter is a good one. Or I'm sorry, a paladin or beastmaster is a bad choice, but a champion fighter is a good one. Mm-hmm. It's much better for a caster to be a warlock, maybe a reskin one with a custom spell list than a sorcerer due to the fact that Warlock's casting is much less bookkeeping intensive and their default action is easy to administer. The sidekick rules that were on Unearthed Akana aren't a bad start. For good things about the sidekick rules. Not read them, heard very good things about them. If you have a DM PC who's a peer or near peer of the PCs, again, make sure they don't outshine the PCs in the PC's chosen area of expertise. You may want to have several available, but only have one active in the party at a time. Think of a console RPG for a good example of how this might work. You could have the other characters be busy doing other things that are relevant. For example, uh, Zell, the scout rogue, is scouting in the direction the PCs plan to go with the time to report back, assuming things go well and she doesn't run into problems or her journey on her journey. When she's busy doing that, she's not in the party. That makes it feel like the supporting staff aren't just sitting there, so Zell might get captured on her journey and end up needing rescue. She can also have an agenda of her own and thus provide adventure hooks. Henches can become really beloved characters in their own right if you give them a good personality that complements the PCs. One of my favorite creations as DM was Rogaro the Half-Orc. He started as a pirate who'd been impressed into uh, the into a pirate crew the PCs tangled with. 
Partly due to luck, the PC spared him and took over the ship. He became a loyal sailor, then first mate, advancing to casualties and departures. Eventually, after the PCs had to abandon their ship due to campaign events, he became the captain, and when they met him long after, he was old and mostly retired. Now he's mentoring a new group of PCs, played by most of the same <clears throat> players. Slick. Woo. That's good stuff, Crim fan. Box it up, man. Put it in a bottle, dude. Sell it, it is. I do, honestly. I think some of the statements that Crim fan has there, um, just the, the few things like, hey, concentration lasts for one round after. You can drink a healing potion and have it be a bonus action type of thing. I think that's cool. And I think there is a point there. We joked at the beginning, right? I mean, you want to kill a PC. One thing that you can do from that perspective is have the monsters act as monsters. We've talked about this a bit in the past. And by that, we can say, hey, it's a troll. It was just got, it just hit the, the this dwarf has just hit that, that troll for 60 points of damage. The troll hits the dwarf, all of its attacks. It kills the dwarf, hits the dwarf in the first blow, second blow critical, third blow critical, dead, deader than dead. Oh, well, it's a stupid beast. It would do that. The other thing to do in that case when it comes to small group player, one-on-one play, is if you choose carefully, as Crimfan's talking about here, goblins surrender, kobolds run away, right? If they're outmatched or outgunned or there's shock and awe involved. Three goblins jump a party of two. The party of two kill a goblin in the first round. The other two, we used to do morale checks back in the day. Not necessarily a thing now, but you can rule... They're terrified. Why are they here? Right? The giant centipede is here for a quick meal. You smack it. You wound it. It scuttles away. You can do that stuff. You can have the monsters and creatures and even, you know, intelligent humanoids act intelligently or terrifiedly, as the case may be. They may well just run the fuck away because, hey, who wants to lose lose their life just to try to scam some gold? So there you be. There you go. Good, good stuff as always, Crimfan. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks, Crim fan. Let's get into the main topic, Brett. Uh, uh. You ready? Am I? Are you? All right. So one of our listeners, Peter, hit us up about tabletop terrain. He says, I'm not sure if you gents have talked about this or have tackled this topic yet, referring to maps, Dwarven Forge, 3D printing, etc. I'm currently creating 3D terrain using Hearst-Aid's molds. Extremely slow process, but very stunning. So, how the hell do we deal with terrain in our games? And I don't want to talk about theater of the mind, because Peter's just talking about tabletop terrain. I've dabbled with a number of different ways to deal with tabletop terrain. So, Sean, when I think tabletop terrain, I think tactical minis-based gaming, right? It's a tactical game where putting that stuff down there, even if you don't have one-inch squares, you're going to have minis represent some sort of physical representation of the characters as well as the landscape. Is that what you think of as well? Tactical mini-style gaming? Yeah, typically. I mean, yeah, pretty much for the most part. So what I used to do, um, we would go to an office supply store, Office Max or Office Depot, one of those, I can't remember, whatever it was, office supply store. They have these big tear sheets with one inch grid on them. And we'd buy them like 30 bucks or a tear sheet, like a great big um, uh, <clears throat> post-it note pad. 
and we draw maps on them. And because we did not have at the time terrain, or even when I was just using a battle mat, even if it was with hexagons or whatever it was, whenever we did terrain, it was representational. By that, I mean, I drew it. You draw a little blob and put a like you <clears throat> trying to draw a topographical map. Like, hey, this, this part of the hill is 10 feet above the ground. This is 15. This is 20. And the guys give me shit because they'll draw something, put a bunch of dots in it. Oh, are those apple trees? No, it's a forest. And it's just, those are, that's how you delineate forest, you pack of dicks. Because um, my friends are jerks. But <laughs> drawing things out like like uh, lakes or rivers and whatever, drawing it sometimes with colored markers or pencils and stuff like that. Sean, when is that how you do? It, when you are doing this, do you do that type of thing? Or do you actually have physical train pieces that you use? <sighs> I I used yeah. to draw maps. Okay. Back in the olden days before the accident. When I played Pathfinder a lot, I used a lot of gaming paper. So on your gaming paper, what makes sense? Pathfinder, yeah. very tactical game. Yep. So you just draw, hey, here's a wall. Yep. Here's, here's a little copse of trees. Here's some rocks. Yep. Just draw it down. Yep. Yep. I uh, have not ventured into the 3D piece. Um, I have done tiles. Okay. To some degree. Mm-hmm. Like Dwarven Forge? Yeah, uh, no. Like okay. like cut out paper tiles. Got it. My son, I bought AJ some, I think it was a, either Watsy put it out or Paizo did. It was a box inside the boxes. It's basically pre-drawn maps, little grids yeah. on them with different terrain types. Which are pretty cool as well. I think I'm very lucky insofar as everywhere I play up in my hometown, whether I'm at Alphas, Lenny's, or Nick's, or even at Zave's, they're Warhammer guys. Warhammer Fantasy and Warhammer. Warhamster! Um, exactly. So I have terrain all over the place. <clears throat> if I want a mountain, boom, I got a mountain. If I want hills that stack, I've got that. If I got trees, if I want rivers, ponds, ruins, I've got that shit readily available. Now, an interesting thing is, because it's it's made for Warhammer, which uses rulers, not squares. Mm. So I plop this piece of train down with a hill. Like, ah, yes, that's a hill. Uh, You can see that. So how tall is that? So I'll look at it, say it's about six inches high. So that's 60 feet. One inch equals five. Hang on, no, five plus six. So it's 30 feet, 30 feet high. You know, trying to do the quick math. How tall is it? Whatever. And... Making it to scale when I'm using minis in a D&D game, which, or a Pathfinder game, if I'm counting squares, the scale matters more. And sometimes the miniature doesn't want to balance on the side, right? <laughs> so you've got this hill that looks really gorgeous and sculpted, and the guy's like, I want to climb in a tree. So you're trying to balance this little lead fig or plastic fig up in the top of this tree. Like, well, how high up is it? Well, God, he's like 60 feet in the air now. No, I only want to be in... It can be time-consuming and kind of annoying if you don't say, hey, this is where you are. You're at the top of this tree. You're 30 feet off the ground. Great. Making statements, declarative, and move past it. Sometimes you can be like, okay, you can get 20 feet up this hill, 30 feet. Now you're on the top. But you have to, if it's not marked off in you know one-inch squares, sometimes you got to measure it or you got to make a judgment call and stick to your guns. 
You know, Brett, a good miniature person doing that would have like contour lines that would probably. They don't need it though, because in Warhammer, it's line of sight. So it doesn't, in their game, it doesn't matter how big. In that that tabletop war game, it doesn't matter. So that's an interesting piece too, is that when I actually have terrain pieces out, line of sight becomes important. The few times my friends have used Dwarven Forge, I've not played with them. I, I've not run a game with them. I have played with them where I'm a character. Line of sight matters. Someone's like, well, I can just peek around the corner. No, you can't. Where you're standing, you crouch down. You cannot see around the corner. You know, you're physically looking. And when the train is in play, what your character really can or can't see sometimes can be very obvious. A drawn map isn't always as obvious. When you put a brick down and go, this is a part, this is a wall. Yep, can't see past it. It's it's taller than my character. I cannot see what's on the other side. So physical two scale train pieces have a really neat effect if you can pull them off. Be it you know paper minis you fold, dwarven forge stuff, three D printed, the Hearst Aids arts models. Excuse me, the Hearst Hearst arts molds that Peter's talking about. It can it can add a level of oh I really seriously can't see what's on the other side. You know, have you ever played with Dungeon for Dungeon Forge or any of this? Dwarven Forge, sorry, Dwarven Forge or any of that stuff on the table before? No, you're shaking your head. You're not speaking. I, this is this is an audio medium. Just the in case only you it game out that I have recently consciously remember playing with 3D terrain was the Western game at Gary Con. When I played with Hubs, Jason Hubs, Scott Hubs, of Hubs yeah. and Friends. Yeah, Hubs and Buddies. <laughs> hubs and Buddies. <laughs> Our podcast. Um, where it was, I mean, that was part of the game where you had a Western town, you had horses, and your guy was uh-huh. on a horse, and then you had three factions with each one having a certain objective. So I have not played a D&D type game or similar with 3D terrain. Now, didn't you have the D&D chainmail minis and stuff? Did you ever play the miniatures game? Or did you just collect so the minis? So I did play the D&D miniatures game when it came out. So Very similar. Yeah, Archfiend, Angel Fire. Did um, you have terrain at that point? No. So that worked. All wars were fought on a flat playing field. Yes. In Makes that it. game, it did. <laughs> Makes it easier. Yeah. I mean, it was all, that was, when it started, it was all tile placement. Ah, okay, okay. And it was one-on-one, like kind of a skirmish. Got it. So you, man, it followed five-foot squares. So you ran your miniatures, like there's a rule, each square five feet, you count the first square is five and the next one, ten, when you're moving diagonal. Got it. So it ran the similar movement-wise as three-five. Okay. I'll tell you, though, I... Like I said, with with the line of sight, which your character can or can't see, the other thing that's really cool is when the character rounds the corner and the troll jumps out, you're like, oh, my God, I didn't know that was back there. Yeah, you can't see around the around that mountain. Oh, yeah, you're right. I can't see around the mountain. It's from a plausibility, um, suspension of disbelief perspective. Having something down there going, look, you can't see through this hill. Your character is a halfling. The hill is 60 feet high, 100 feet long. 
You don't know what's on the other side. You can't see it. Okay, yeah, you're right. I, I don't I don't see a thing. The giant's only 20 feet. It's 60 foot hill. Okay, you're right. I can't see it. So there's something to be said with that. The other thing that's, like I said, that's interesting is line of sight. At least my players, being war gamers, take advantage of that whenever possible. So if the halfling is at the base of the hill, as soon as the giant starts walking up the hill, if it stops, they're looking down going, okay, I can see the top of the giant's head, right? I can see his head and shoulders. Yeah, fire. Twang. You know, they want to take the bow shot because I can see him now. But if you're playing a tactical game with minis like that, with miniatures, tactical, either with the ruler or with one inch square based style gaming and you throw terrain down, that's to be expected in my book. You know what I'm saying? You're inviting that type of discussion as soon as you put that stuff down. People want to engage with the train when you place it. Oh, I think, yeah. Oh, that's fair. And I think it is, some of this stuff is just crazy great. Oh, it's gorgeous. Some yeah. of the Dwarven Forge stuff. Oh, yeah. Oh, man, the Stefan puts, oh, my God, it's yeah. fucking amazing. It's People putting LEDs and stuff. and Oh, it's crazy. It is nuts. I, I'm going to be doing almost 3D, but it's going to be very tile-based for Tomb of Horrors at Gamehole Con. So it'll have archways and doors, but I'm not doing the walls. Yeah. Well, the, one of the complaints I've heard about Dwarven Forge dungeons- You got to look on top of it. Is the walls, yes. Yeah. The Which, top down. Right. Which is great, but you do have to look kind of down into it. And when it comes to dungeons, unless you are Stefan or- Alex, or somebody else who happens to have yeah. a metric shit ton of them, you can only do certain sections of the dungeon at a time, right? Yeah, or you got to go if, all in. Or you go all in and buy enough to build the whole fucking dungeon, which is not going to be cheap, people. No, it's not. <sighs> but hey, but what, else, is, what else are you going to spend your money on? But this is where booze, you look like, hey, yeah, booze, drugs. women, boyfriends, girlfriends, what are you doing? Come, Come on. on, don't do that. No. More. Nah, I don't even have to spend money on motorcycles anymore. Come on, we buy more minis. 3D terrain and minis. Yep. Or <laughs> 3D terrain and minis. I was going to say, oh, so the other component is that it takes up space. So yeah. for an outdoor piece, yeah. when I have a big outdoor battle, I lay it out at the table, that's great. And they move on from that fight scene to the entrance to the dungeon or whatever. When you're using 3D in the dungeon, when I've experienced it, you go so far, the DM has to disassemble the previous part of the dungeon, put it ahead of you, reassemble it into the next section of the dungeon because you only have so many pieces and parts. Or like I said, even if you happen to have it all, it still takes time to lay it out and you got to un unveil it and so forth. It's time consuming. And then, God forbid, you have enough dungeon tiles to make half the dungeon. You get halfway in, so it goes... Retreat, you go backwards, like, oh, I have to reassemble all those pieces of the dungeons. So you can go backwards. We have this running backwards battle or whatever happens. So terrain it in general can be time consuming to set up. I have a tendency in my Pathfinder game I'm running right now, when I pull it out, it's like a big goddamn fight. When I want to experience, um, it's going to be super tactical. It's going to be a big brawl. It's a big event. So we pull it out for the wow factor. Oh, my God, you dropped the tower down. Oh, wow, there's the wall. There's the this. Oh, you've got the part of the keep. Oh, that's really cool. This is really there. Oh, that's neat. Well, I'm setting it up. The players are planning, and they're looking, and they're trying to figure out, okay, obviously, big fight's coming. There's the dragon, or there's the thing, or the ogre king, or whatever it is. So I don't use it all the time. 
even when my friends have had Dwarven Forge or other such things, even sometimes papercraft for rooms and dungeons or, or specific dungeon rooms, the big room, the big event, right? Where the, the, the Lich Queen was or Loth or whatever horrible thing was there. That's when you pull out the, the uh, special set pieces. So I think one way, if you're going to get into it, one way to do it is to, if you have a big dungeon or an encounter that you want to spruce it up, you can have an encounter and get enough minis. And paper minis are a perfectly good way to go. Fat Dragon Games does it. A number of other people do. If you got a buddy um, that's got a 3D printer, you can coerce them, but that's not cheap either. Um, <laughs> you probably have to buy ink and other things, or uh, I should say filament and whatnot. Anyhow, um, if you have stuff, can borrow it from friends, can get it. I, I've known people have used Jenga blocks, Legos, Lincoln Logs, anything and everything. We actually used to go, my buddy Zave and I would go to the pet store at the one hardware shop in town, up my hometown, the little pet department. Every once in a while, they'd have a clearance section on fish tank stuff. We have so many Roman ruined columns, walls, ships. <laughs> Treasure chests and crap. That's basically to scale for a bunch of characters. It's pretty cool. So <clears throat> what I'm saying is if you want to give this a go and you're like, man, I can't outfit the whole thing. You don't have to. You can start with the big fight, the final fight. And by God, your players are going to know what it is because when I lay it out there and Sean goes, holy shit, you prepared all this stuff? Yes, yes, I have. And you roll out all your bits and pieces. Even if it's a printed out map with some extra tchotchke Parts and pieces, pillars, a uh, bubbling cauldron of blood, or whatever it is you happen to get your hands on, you don't have to do it for the whole thing. You can do it for bits and pieces. That that sound fair, Sean? It does sound fair. So when I'm talking about this, Sean, I know you have don't have a lot of experience with it, but is there any piece of that that makes you think, boy, that would be cool, or pain in the ass, or what about? Man, growing up wanting train sets and looking at Warhammer tournaments and going, this stuff is some freaking cool stuff. I'm always down for it, but I don't have any interest in doing it myself. I'll play in somebody else's. Like, I don't want to have it myself. The Tomb of Horrors thing, man, I'm having somebody do the printing for me. I get it. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be easier for them. They know what I need. I will pay them. But mm -hmm. and I'll use it probably once. And as a matter of fact, the person I'm having doing it is actually like, um, do you want these? Or because I was thinking of doing this as a project at one point, I just never had a reason to do it. And I, I so I was thinking about keeping them. And I'm like, yeah, dude, if you want to keep them and just let me borrow them for one day, that'd be awesome. I'm down with that. Perfectly good way to go. But, um, I mean, and it, they are great. It does require a, a bunch of space um, and time to, to mm -hmm. construct the stuff for sure. But yeah, it can, I mean, it does add, I think, a certain pizzazz to, it does. to the you, table you, for sure. And I'll tell you, you old Grizzle Grognards, man, you want to add some wonderment back sometimes? It's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. Add a cool looking thing. <clears throat> it's like a special fact, right? Mm -hmm. Which again, if you do it, if you don't have a lot of it and you want to do it sparingly for the big events or the really cool shit, right. it, it does show your cards in a way that, ooh, this is obviously a big event. Sean pulled out all the goodies. Yes, it's a big event. Why not let them know? I'll tell you, one thing that I found is interesting is when it comes to mechanics, game mechanics and system stuff, when, you, when I've sketched a swamp or a lake or a puddle or something or a hill, 
it's very easy for people to forget the movement rules difference. <laughs> Even me running the game because stuff's fast. I'm just going to cut through this corner of the swamp area. Yeah, fine. When you lay down the trees and you lay out the pond and you've got the hill, like, yeah, that's going to, you can move 30 feet, huh? Yeah, according to how we measure this, that's going to take you two full rounds at a dead run to get over the top of this hill. Oh, fuck. It's, <clears throat> excuse me, it's very, it has an impact. And I have found the people I've played with when we've had that want that impact. They want to figure out how to use the train to their advantage. And when the bad guys are smart and use the train to their advantage, like, ooh, oh, that was a good play. Good play, Brett. Yeah, oh, that makes sense. That's why they're up high or that's why they're down low or whatever the case is. Oh, shit, we are in a, we are in a, you know, shooting gallery here. God damn it. So be prepared for that. The other thing that you will find is that if you build it, the players will try to wreck it. And that means rock to mud, earthquakes, landslides, burn shit down. Do not be shocked nor dismayed when you lay out this beautiful elven forest that you coerced your friend to 3D print and your other friend to paint for you and they've done amazing work and you say, ah, thank you, Mary. That's awesome. She says, yes, here's here's my baby. It lasts five fucking minutes because the sorcerer decides, burn down the forest and it's gone, right? So it can be fun to have set pieces, but be prepared. Somebody's going to take that mountain and try to eat a part of it off. Someone's going to take that hill, cast an earthquake spell, drop a bomb on it, drop a mech on it, something, you know, big landing craft will hit it and flatten the castle or whatever it is that's there. It's going to happen. Don't be dismayed. People are interacting with your terrain. They're interacting with your game and they're using all the cool tchotchke pieces and, and wow, wowness that you threw at the table. They're playing with it, Right. Which is which is cool that you know you invited people to come and play with your GI Joe guys and they're there to do that, so that's pretty cool. <laughs> but don't be surprised when your players decide that they're going to break all the cool shit you put out there because that's that's what that's what we do as players. I would do it. Anything else for you, Sean? No. I I, I will close by by reiterating: you can start small, and that's perfectly fine. You can, the other thing with starting small is you can try it and see how it worked. You don't have to invest a huge amount of money. You can start with paper craft, work your way up. If people think it's great, like, wow, I just printed this thing on a regular sheet of paper, glued them all together, and I, I made a city block, and everyone thought it was cool. Well, maybe next time I'll get some 3D stuff. Maybe next time I'll add a layer or I'll do something really slick. That's great. You can add and you can build to it. And I think Matt Colville said this at one point. He's talking about miniatures because he loves them. And I know of a, a couple other people of mine, have, friends of mine, I should say, have said this. When someone says, wow, that looks, oh, God, it's expensive. And to Sean and my joke earlier, you're going to have this forever. You can play D&D from now until you die, right? Or Star Wars or whatever it is. If you love this hobby, slowly but surely amassing some terrain, it probably will serve you well. It may sit in a box for a month. Because you're playing a different game that you can't quite use that terrain in, but you're going to get a lot of use out of it. You know, having a, a bit of a terrain collection is not necessarily a bad thing. And if you want to, there are plenty of places out there. I tried to find a couple craft sites before I got on here, and I, I failed. If I can find some, I'll post them up. But friends of mine, when they ever order anything from Amazon, comes in a star, comes in styrofoam packing material. They take that stuff, they cut it, they find paint, and they turn that into stuff. There are lots of ways to take cardboard boxes and all sorts of things. Look on your look on the interwebs, 
look up some crafty stuff and you don't even have to be really good at it right to give it the effect that you're looking for but anyway it's worth the investment if you like a tactical game you want some wow factor to it you don't have to go big and uh your players have a lot of fun interacting with it so if you do it if you like it you've got different ways tools means devices let us know what you think or how you do it and uh we'll be happy to share yeah you good good, man yeah get the die roll terrain Alrighty. All right. Speaking of terrain, before we get to that, uh, Brat, Lord of the Rings series. I know. I love my. I love my Lord of the Rings they stuff. I. This is the creative team. Did they? Okay. Okay. That's the Amazon multi-billion-dollar series they're gonna create. Let's see. It's no joke. Lindsay, Lindsay Weber. Bruce Richmond, Gene Kelly, Boardwalk Empire, Cloverfield Lane, Game of Thrones. Oh, Game of Thrones person. Okay. Breaking Bad People, Sopranos, more Game of Thrones, Toy Story, Avatar, Hannibal, Suicide Squad, Star Wars, Revenant. Wow, neat. Yeah, man. Oh, John Howe, illustrator, concept artist. There we go. That makes me happy as a claim right there. So, yeah, that's going to happen. Something like filming, I think, starting in 2020, if I'm not mistaken. I don't, well be. I don't know if that's right, but it's going to be cute. It's going to be huge. Uh, Amazon Lord of the Rings commitment is believed to be for five seasons, plus a potential spinoff. Once production budget, casting writers, producers, and visual effects are factored in, the total for the Ring series could hit $1 billion. One Yes, $1 billion. Billion for, dollars. For a TV show. That's fucking crazy. That's crazy. I hope they don't fuck it up. I'm going to watch it. Just hope they don't fuck it up. Carry on. <laughs> Uh, Dwarven Forge, got a link to that if you want to buy some and go crazy. Uh, Dungeon Stone, which is uh, another plaster-type dungeon terrain, if you'd like to look at that. We have links to that. Fat Dragon Games is huge in the 3D fantasy paper terrain, and then they also sell um, plans so you can do 3D printing. So they sell the, the files for that if you'd like that. Check that out. Um, old school DMs Facebook. So patron of the show, Randy, who's you know been on Hangouts with us. Oh, he's been a long time for the support of the show. Yeah, yeah. Randy's awesome. Old school is good, man. And he probably has like his own podcast about terrain. He does. If he doesn't, he should because my God, the stuff that he has put out. He shared it with us. If you remember. Back in those glory days gone by on G+, old school would put out some wonderful images of what he was doing with his D&D papercraft terrain. He does amazing stuff. With the demise of Google+, I made sure he was still around as far as like displaying his stuff. Um, and you can check out his Facebook page. I'm sure you can glean some of the things that he's done mm-hmm. using the, the paper cardboard type of approach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we got a one-off yes. from this from the topic here. Uh, our good friend, the warden, yes, Mr. Crapper, yes. has a Kickstarter called the Tower. Yeah. So Kickstarter is doing a promotion right now to all everybody that's done probably Kickstarters and saying, "Hey, we got this thing. We want you to break Kickstarter. So try to do a Kickstarter that's something you wouldn't typically do." I think it's the premise of it. So this is a game. Yes. That you won't get until Todd's dead. Right. That's what it says. What is the funding level, Brett? $75. He already has $290. So. 
90 backers. And his, he levels is legit. Are, his levels are $1 or 5 And it's legit. Like, he yeah. will produce a game. Are you dying or something? Not that I know of, he says. So you might not get this for like 20 years. Yes. But, hey. So, you know, if I was 80 listening to this, I'd be like, dude, you're crazy. I can't back you. <laughs> I have some limitations. But anyways, I don't know. It'll be a game based on Powered by the Apocalypse a little bit, I guess. Yeah. Moves. There's moves. And every time you do a move, you cross it out. You can't do the move again. Something so that. let's get into real risks for you backers, he says. <clears throat> when <laughs> he never you dies. get to play this game, I cannot tell you that. <laughs> the odds of saying actually remaining mystery until my actual death are not as high as might seem. And there are very, very good possibilities. Something may come along and force me to unlock it. Or I may simply choose to do so out of the blue one day. But this, is part of the, <laughs> but this part is important if you're going to back this Kickstarter. When you receive your copy of the game, you'll not be able to access it, read it, read about it, or play it. This game also contains difficult subject matter that will be handled in the deepest respect and care for the material. <laughs> so there you go. Oh, my God. I don't know. So check it I out. I'm tempted to do it because it's <laughs> just... just it's five bucks. You know, I think it's like $5 Canadian. I mean, what the hell? Yeah. It's, like Monopoly, of it's like Monopoly money, right? The problem is he's got an estimated delivery of December 2019. So What? I don't know. Yeah. Maybe Kickstarter makes you do that, but maybe the warden. I'm sure he has to put something in there. Yeah. I don't know, man. Maybe that's a, that's a clue. Maybe Ooh, it's maybe. A clue. Maybe, yeah. Oh, who knows? Maybe it's he's, for Christmas. He is, he is shifty. He is crafty. Crafty, not shifty. Crafty. Crafty. Beastie Boys. <laughs> Crafty. Uh, so, yeah, check that out. Um, one other thing I wanted to bring up, and this, Go is, for it. this is to the masses out there. So, Misdirected Mark are, are brothers from other mothers uh, and w- sisters of other mothers put up a forum. And they announced that it's public. You can go over to Misdirected Mark. You can go on their forums. It's all PHPBB if you're, not f- if you're familiar with that. Um. When I first got it, I was like, oh, my God, flashback to the 90s. Same here. I thought, oh. Early 2000s. But then. (laughs) But in today's times, we all got burnt. A lot of us got burned on Google+. A lot of us don't like Facebook. You know, there is something to be said about, you know, I'm a big advocate of if you have your content, you have a domain, you own it, you, you buy it, you don't put your stuff on other people's crap only for them to close it. Mm hmm. So I understand their motivation. Like, it makes sense. Even Slack. Like, Slack is great, but if Slack goes bye-bye or if they start char- charging exorbitant amount... You don't have that anymore. Same with Discord. So Google Hangouts is supposedly going away. Yeah, Google Hangouts is going bye-bye. And so Discord, same thing. Like, so Twitch, YouTube, all those. As long as you have the videos and the raw files, YouTube disappears, you still have your stuff. You know, you kind of live with it. So anyways, the point of my rant here is that they have forums up and it's not to compete with them in any way, shape or form. But does it make sense for us to have our own forums? Is it worth having? I would spend the money to do it because I'd want ones that never get hacked or are always up kept uh, kept up. And uh, quite frankly, it's seemed at first, Sean, I went, huh, yeah, that seems silly. And we started talking about it uh, earlier, and then just before the show, we went, that's that's not a bad it's idea. It's not a bad idea. I get it. And is that I'm something not a big, that- I used to run forums. Mm-hmm. I, I ran grumblingdwarf.com. I still own the domain. 
that I met a lot of people through that. It wasn't like this tens of thousands of people, but I mean, we had a few hundred and uh, a lot of people got to know each other through that. And that's the whole point of what it was. But that was also in 2000, 2001. We are very blessed. We have an incredibly awesome community. All the men and women that listen to us, that have ever interacted with us, have ever encountered, have always been great people. Our assumption is every single one of you is great people because it's just it's just awesome. We even love you, Mudskipper. Um, the point is, <laughs> shout out to Mudskipper. If this is um, if this is a tool, a format that you all think could be, hey, yeah, I could give that a go. Let us know, right? Yeah, so I mean, let's let know what you think. We're not guaranteeing we're going to do it or whatever. Right now, it's kind of like just right. gauge the gauge the popularity, gauge the idea. Who wants now who's feelers, about it. temperature. Just feeling, getting a temperature of the water. Throw it on the wall, see what sticks. Run up flagpole, see who salutes. Yeah. Touching base, circling back. Strategizing. Yeah, yeah we're going to break some paradigms. <laughs> <laughs> God. We're going to go old school with a new school approach. Blast you for bringing that up. But if it's something that is mildly interested, the one thing that I think a lot of people is like, there's so many like, oh, I'm, I'm Dungeon Crawl Classics. So I'm on their forums and Facebook and groups and this and that. And it's just another thing to manage. But the thing is, is that we don't have a central place. Like it's we have a Facebook page. Great. We have um, we have our, people our that website. have told us I, they will not go to Facebook because yes. they hate it so fucking much. Yes. And we have people on Twitter that like Twitter, but nothing else. So I don't know. Let us know. We'd be interested. Maybe I'll put up a poll somewhere where everybody can vote. Hey, we have an email list. We have an email list. I'll send it out to people that aren't listening to this, <laughs> but have like, our God, email. God damn it. Yeah. I can't believe you finally emailed me. You bunch of bastards. We'll see. Anyway, we'll see. It's just an idea. Mm-hmm. So what are we talking about next week, Brett? We want to talk about the Temple of Elemental Evil. What? Have you played the original? I have played maybe once. I don't know if we ever got through the whole... I know we never got through the whole thing. Did you ever read or play through The Return to the Temple? I own the original. I think mm-hmm. I bought it, actually. I uh, drive through and printed it. Um, I think I have Return that I happen to get from my buddy Joe, who probably doesn't know I have it. Well, now you're wrecked. He's going to want it back. Well, before he gives it back to you... He has to run it. If he got time... Yeah. Reacquaint yourself with both of those beauties because that's what we're going to talk about. So why are we? Why that one? I want to talk about that one because I have been told by a number of people. Matt Colville didn't tell me directly, but he said it, and other people said it. It's unrunnable. I've been told. I'm like, oh, huh, that seems strange. Friends and I played that a bunch. We had a good time. It is one of, oddly enough, my favorite AD and D adventures. It is. Mm-hmm. Huh. I like it. So, Sean and I have talked about doing this for a while. Like, hey, we have a f- bunch of old adventures and modules. Sean has run and played many more than I have because That's a lot I of do. my stuff has been homebrew- yeah. homebrewed and Sean, and Sean does a lot more. And I thought, hey, what's one that I know <laughs> fairly well that I could talk about with some intelligence with Sean? I'm like, hey, I'll take Temple of Elemental Evil. So there we go. Maybe after this we'll go Pharaoh or something. Who knows? Yeah, who knows? Who knows? Where this, the, where this train's going to stop. That's the plan. Train. A, somebody say train. All right. There we go. Let's get out of here. All right. Well, I'm your conductor, Sean. <laughs> and I'm Brett. Good night and good game and all.
This episode of Gaming and BS brought to you with the help from the following BSers. Graham Meyer, Corey Wynn, Hawk Sparrow, Larry Hout, Mark Saka, Pure Mongrel, Chris Steele, Jaron Bishop, Thomas Hook, Wayne Humphrey, Craig, Brandon Barnes, Laramie Wall, Dan LaValle, Jason Hobbs, Sky, Roger Braslett, John Hammersley, Old School DM, Perry Besor, Michael Dinos, Jim Fitzpatrick, Christopher Gray, Bruce Cunnington, John Kayward, Corey Gonzalez, Eileen Barnes, Robert Nemeth, Niall Diamond, Angus, Howard Bishop, Stefan Dragonspawn, Mark Anthony Benedetti, Eric Salzweedle, Trevor Davis, The Closet Gamer, Appendix N Book Club, Aaron Coleman, Ray Otis, C.W. Mellencamp, Craig Huber, Rich Wishon, Old Scoozer Roleplaying, Jared Rasher, Chad Glayman, Finnolf, Merkel Froelich, Lord Tentacle, Joe Swick, Curtis Takahashi, Josh Wallace, Kevin Lovecraft, Andy Olson, Tony Sugarloaf Baker, and Jeff Seifert. For ways to support the show, head over to GamingNBS.com forward slash support dash us. Thanks, BSers! This, this has been a Litterbox, Litterbox Studio production. production.